Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as the Hotel series, which includes From Daylight to Madness and When the Sleeping Dead Still Talk. With me, as always, are my Vox Vomitus vixens, author Trisha Ridinger McKee, author of the Beyond series, and Allison Martin, author of the Bourbon books. There's a lot of bees in this. Bourbon, Beyond, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent. I feel like we're doing um, a theater warm-up, which is perfect because we have the one, the only, <laughs> Tori Eldridge, who is a not only a best-selling author, but a dancer, a ninja, a yoga master, and <laughs> uh, just an all-around very cool person. Thank you for being with us. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your books? Uh, sure. Well, hey, ladies. Thanks hey. so much for having me. <laughs> this is so fun. Uh, first off, yoga master. Mm-mm. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there straight up. <laughs> I've seen the videos. You can stretch and bend. <laughs> well, you know, having been a professional dancer, that does help. Um so the dancing, acting, singing, yeah, that's all legit. Uh, fifth degree black belt in Toshindo ninja martial arts, that's legit. And um, I'm the author of the Lily Wong mystery thriller series about a Chinese-Norwegian modern-day ninja in Los Angeles with Joy Luck Club family issues. And you can see the little books behind me over there. They're so pretty, red and yellow. Um, I also write some horror so I've got some short stories and a bunch of anthologies and even a narrative poem in the reboot of Weird Tales magazine. I know, right? That is very cool. I know. It's like horror fangirl, uh, you know, moment, I know. Right? That I would have screamed. I would have cried. I kind of got chills just when you showed it to me. <laughs> so thanks. So that's kind of what I'm about. And I'm getting ready to, uh, I'm editing in the editing process with my uh, editor for the third Lily Wan book. The Ninja Betrayed, that's coming out September 14th, 2021. And next month, I'm hoping we are going to be announcing a secret standalone deal. And that's oh. all I can say about that. Oh. <laughs> you can tell us after we go on. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so um, you have had probably one of the most eclectic and exciting careers that I have been able to read about. Um, you know, we, we research all of our authors that come on our show. We read their books. Um, and I, I knew you were a singer and a dancer and an actress. And I knew that you were in the first national tour of cats because I'm an internet stalker, but I didn't realize, um, that you were in, was there, there was a Valley of the Dolls TV series. That oh my gosh. Wow. You're really digging up history. <laughs> Yeah, um, I love Valley of the Dolls. That is my one of my guiltiest pleasures. So uh, <laughs> I saw that and was like, yes. And you were on the love boat and you've been you've lived all over. You've traveled all over. 
I'd like to travel more. Yes. <laughs> Some of them. You and me the, both. Oh, I know, right? Right I mean, now, I'd like to just travel out of my house. <laughs> oh, I want to get back to Shanghai. Oh, my gosh. My my granddaughter was born in uh, December, and she's in Shanghai with my son and daughter-in-law, and I haven't held her. So I want to go back there. And the third Lily Wong book is set in Hong Kong. And I've been there because a couple years back, um, we flew to Shanghai to meet the in-laws. They came in from Hong Kong because my daughter-in-law is from Hong Kong. And we traveled together and then we went, you know, to Hong Kong, had all family experience. So that was really great. So you talk about travel. That was one of the highlights. Um, another big one was going to Bali. That was also a book research trip. Oh, that was epic. And probably the other really exciting one was Rio. Oh. Do you decide where to set your books based on where you want to travel? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. I can get behind that. Um, I need yes. to write a book about Italy. <laughs> just reasons, historical. Just, just real reasons. I know. Yeah. I, I wanted to go back to Italy with my next book that I'm writing because there's a, a part of it that is in Italy, but we're in lockdown. So I just spent a lot of time looking at uh, Google Earth at train stations that I'd been in, but can't yeah. really remember. <laughs> yeah. See, I get really fascinated by, you know, other cultures. I mean, of course, I'm fascinated by my own. I'm from Hawaii and I'm Hawaiian, Chinese, Norwegian. So, you know, I've got that mixed race thing going on. I grew up in a multicultural place. I live in a diverse city. I write about a multicultural character. So, you know, that's obviously something that's super interesting to me, but not just my culture, but other other cultures and, and world religions and stuff. And so those things really excite me. And I, I love, you know, like all authors, I love diving into research. So, you know, gobs of that, but nothing quite beats, you know, that visceral sense of having been there. You, you know what it smells like, you know what the air feels like, you know, just, just yes. really, yeah. Oh, you know, I if it feels travel. dangerous or something. I miss travel. I well, miss you, travel. And you totally have that. Uh, I just finished The Ninja Daughter and that's set in Los Angeles. So I was, that's why I was confirming, are you actually in Los Angeles still? Or just, you clearly know it so well because I'm, I'm sitting there visualizing all these places. I'm pretty sure I ate at the same farmer's market stall where <laughs> Lily is. And I'm going, okay, is that, is that right by where I got the macarons or is that, is that the other side of the, because my sister until before she moved to Texas, she lived right off Larchmont. So we would go there and we would be up at that area. But of course, yeah. I mean, even if she hadn't moved away, we wouldn't have gone there in the last year. So I got to be there again with your book, but I, I knew all the places that I'm sitting there going, it's a lot rougher for Lily because I'm going, she gets, she gets assaulted multiple times during the book. And I'm just going, maybe she's just, she just has a bullet on her, like a target going, I'm a ninja. Mess with me. You know, it's fiction. So you get away with it. It's really interesting that you bring this up because it's something uh, that comes up in the third book where she actually, you know, is talking, you know, she's in a conversation and, or, and thinking, you know, about, uh, is, is she drawn to trouble or is trouble drawn to her? You know, what, what is that going on? And, and her sensei has, has a theory about that, you know, about, you know, what happens when we open ourselves up to hear the cries of, 
those in need and her being a, you know, a modern day ninja warrior, you know, protector person, she's, she has opened up those senses. So she, she hears them more than the average person would. And she picks up on it more because she's looking for it. You know, that said, she's also diving into some, you know, uh, in the Ninja Daughter, a very complex mystery that just gets deeper and deeper and deeper with all these, you know, characters. And the farther she gets into it, the more danger pops up. And so, you know, her own uh, mission is putting her in greater and greater danger. And then again, in the Ninja's Blade, which takes place, what, um, I think three weeks after the end of the Ninja Daughter, you know, she goes, she does a deep dive into the commercial sex trafficking of youth in LA. So, you know, she's getting into trouble, you know, and attracting trouble. Um, it's, you know, I love reading about such a powerful female lead. Yeah. And I love that we're reading about her in a way that doesn't constantly say, like, as a woman, she's doing this. Like, you, <laughs> like it's not in spite of her being a woman. She's, she can also be a ninja. Oh, there's my God. Isn't that of, true? <laughs> I know. There's not a lot of, like, um, Lily walked into the room, her gorgeous face, blah, blah. <laughs> like, I, I read a lot of comics. She adjusted her breasts and then I know, <laughs> she adjusted on. her breasts to carry on or like, you know, uh, like her breasts heaved during the fight. Like none of that happens. And no. so thank you. for no, There's no just, heaving breasts. Yeah, thank you for just writing like a human person. Well, and I was going to say, you do such a great job describing the physicality. And I know for me, that's, that's a weakness for me, not just as a writer, but as a reader, I have a really hard time visualizing all this. So when it would get to those scenes, I would have to really stop and focus and go, okay, so her body's doing this and now she's going that and now her hands are like this. Okay. And then I'm stopping and doing that too. So I'm sitting there, okay. So if her hands are tied up, like, was it, was it like this? like that yeah, so, yeah, when I'm like okay right hand over left and then she's I'm wondering how much of that comes from your own background being a dancer that you're so familiar with your own body movements that you're able to then also write them more easily because I know for me I can barely walk I don't dance <laughs> um so the physicality of my characters is always something I've got to really stop and focus on. I was, I was saying that was definitely a strength for your writing. I didn't know if that came naturally or if that's something you really polished going, she's a ninja. If this doesn't read realistically, we lose the character. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. Well, uh, one of the things is, is that um, I, I was a teacher you know, a ninja martial arts teacher for, for a very long time. And when you're teaching martial arts, you have to be very clear and communicating and you have to really understand how to, you know, not just execute things, but explain them in a way that your students can somehow, you know, figure the, these things out. And so you get very good at explaining things very clearly. Every, the other thing I would say that probably makes it easier is that everything that Lily does is something that I have either done, I've taught, uh, I've witnessed one of my friends doing, or I've, um, 
you know, researched uh, and seen it. I mean, I even have a bit of a gymnastics background. And so I understand, you know, uh, that's from way back in the way. So, you know, these, you know, these pullovers and these kips and these things like that. I mean, I know that, you know, I don't do parkour, but, you know, I, I get it. I know it. I research it. And so she does that. But all the fights and everything like that, that's, that's all like straight up as authentic as I can possibly make it. Well, and it reads that way too. So I could visualize it. I just had to kind of stop and focus on it because I don't have that visual reference point Mm because I can't do any of that. But if you were in cats, of course you can do gymnastics because you kind of have to and in kitty makeup. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're a cat. I can do kitty makeup. (laughs) A couple lines, but that's that's about it for me. Trisha, do you have any questions for Tori? I, I do, I do. Your writing is known for the strong, um, strong female characters. And I was wondering who in real life and who in literature, um, who are your inspirations for, for that? Oh, huh. You know, uh, that's really interesting because when I was writing it, I never thought about that. That, that sort of wasn't, wasn't a thing. Um, I just... You know, it was really important to me to break through the sensationalism of what everybody thinks ninja is and how we've, we've, you know, been shown this is so exciting. You know, the assassins and the black pajamas and the, and the kind of mystical (laughs) flying through the air and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I mean, and here it was, it was like, dude, I'm, I'm like a modern day ninja. And you probably wouldn't think she looks like me. And so that was kind of really where it came from. It was like, no, you know, it, it could be, it could be any of you guys. Um, it, it could be your neighbor. It probably is your neighbor. You'd be surprised <laughs> how many of us are out there. And I thought, this is what I wanted to show people is that, no, you know what? Guess what? It really is an actual martial art. There are people out there training. There are people who, like me, were trying to train to make things empowering and make the world a better place, not to kill anybody that I know of. Um, you know, so when I was writing, I was more thinking in terms of, wanting to show that than being inspired by, you know, a, another female character or, or writers who write strong female characters. You know, that said, I, I do tend to gravitate towards them. I mean, if we're talking a detective, you know, I love uh, Lou Norton, you know, Rachel House of Halls, Lou Norton, you know, dig her. I love Cass Rains in uh, Tracy, Tracy Clark's Cass Rains. I devour all of jt uh, ellison's books we mm-hmm. have her next week no spoilers i'm still reading that <laughs> so good so good you know lisa gardner you know it goes on and on I, I love all of them but i just wasn't really thinking about that when i was writing so i love that you brought up um that being a ninja and the ninja arts is a real thing because mm-hmm. i will be honest with you my experience with ninja is based on Frank Miller's run of Electra oh. for um, Marvel Comics. So, and that was, she was a great character, but there was always like this added mysticism on top of it. Like the, like you are chosen to become a ninja. Mm-hmm. So part of me always thought it was that too. Like there was just like some sort of ninja God who came down and was like, you're the chosen child. You will be a ninja. And then <laughs> it's Murphy. Like, yeah. And then it's like a crouching tiger, hidden dragon. Or yeah, something. Yeah. So. Well, and that's really, that's really, you know, that's a common, 
you know, kind of understanding. I mean, because that's what we see, right? Even even in Japan, it's my understanding that decades before, uh, my teacher, Stephen K. Hayes, he actually had the same background in Tong Sudo that I did. And back in the 70s, he went to Japan to hunt down the ninja and learn this, you know, martial arts. Yeah. And, like, and he found, thing, that's not good. <laughs> right? and, and he found the grandmaster, you know, and all these nine lineages had been passed down to Takamatsu sensei and then passed down to Hatsumi sensei. And, and, you know, and, and, but there was just like, maybe, I don't know, I'm a dozen, you know, people training there. And he was like, I want to train. And they're like, yay, a big American weekend beat up. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and he just never left. So, you know, they had to teach him something, uh, you know, so yeah, he stayed and then they finally said, go West young man. And, you know, spread the news and he spread it in such a way that it, you know it, it just black belt magazine it exploded you know and people so now now there are thousands thousands maybe tens of thousands i don't even know uh actual practitioners all over the place so now you can actually you know go to japan you can you know, find the dojo, perhaps you probably won't be able to train there, but you know, I mean, they're, they're there. Um, but before that, it, there was a mystique, you know, it was almost, um, from what I understand, even people in Japan didn't even know if they were real, you know, it was like, you know, the, the boogeyman that you tell your kids or yeah. the, the story, the, you know, the myth. Um, so yeah, you know, now Tori was your master then the one, and you may not know the answer to this. Did you ever see the MythBusters when they took on the ninja stuff? Was it your master they interviewed? Did you see all that? You they know, took on like all these ninja, all these ninja myths. I can't say that ninja myths. Yeah, and yeah. they had all these things, and the man in charge that they said this is the guy who knows everything ninja was a white dude. So I'm wondering if it was him because if he's a white dude in the know, it was probably him. But they were showing everything from like the six inch punch and all this stuff. And that, that's all I know about ninjas. Jen knows from Punisher and I know from watching too much Mythbusters. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if I saw that one, but he was on some kind of uh, special where it was like a, a challenge and they had this, this whole thing where he was supposed to sneak in, you know, ninja style, right? Mm -hmm. Sneak into this building and rescue this guy who was being held captive somewhere, right? And he did it in a way that just like, everybody was like, wait, no. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, because he's this yeah. kind of older white dude, right? And he put on a cap and, you know, he just started like going up to the hotel room, knock, knock, knock. Um, you know, I, I, I heard that, you know, we got this, you know, this order in, anybody want it? And they're like, no, no. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay, fine, fine. You know, hours would go by, come back. Um, I just had to fix this light out in the hall. Just, I'll let you know, you know, yeah, yeah. Hours later, he'd come back. By this time, they got so used to seeing him around. I was like, "Oh, that's that old white dude, <laughs> old white dude, not a ninja." <laughs> not the ninja. And, then, and then he snuck in, and it, you know, <laughs> he, he rescued the guy. And everybody, everybody was like, "Cheater, cheater!" No, no. And he's like, "You told me the mission was <laughs> got it done. Yeah, got it done. You don't yeah. have to be like crawling on your belly underneath like weird lasers because you gotta blend in. See, that's the whole thing, right? They say, "Ooh, the ninja, you know, the shadow warriors." It doesn't mean you're running around in black pajamas unless you're in a black pajama party. In which case, <laughs> perfect costume. That's fun. That's what we should have dressed as today. <laughs> I should wear my black for you, but uh, it's more of a turtleneck. But, you know, yeah, you got to blend into the surroundings and stuff. So, you know, that's that's kind of more, you know, Lily's thing. That's, that's what, and you notice that in the Ninja Daughter too, right? Like when she went to 
the metro station and she was trying to, you know, so yeah. Yeah, she, I mean, she's very much, I mean, she's a ninja, but she's also like, she's a private investigator too. So mm-hmm. that's what I loved that because it, it, it read like crime books that I'm, I don't want to say used to reading, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I love, I love crime books. So um, yeah, I didn't know what to expect from a ninja book because again, I thought mysticism and there would just be long scenes that I wouldn't understand and then feel like bad about myself spiritually after <laughs> <laughs> so, Like, oh, hmm. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was funny because I wanted to write, you know, a sleuth, right? I wanted her to be a sleuth. And uh, so I wanted to have a really complex mystery for her to investigate because I thought that would be super fun. Um, But I also wanted to do a real dive into her heritage. So, you know, she's, she's not a woman torn between two sides. You know, she's, it's all a part of her, you know, and she's 25. So she doesn't follow the trope of, you know, her family was wiped out and she's on the path of revenge or she's estranged from her family. No, she, she lives above her North Dakota, Norwegian, Chinese, North Dakota, Norwegian father's Chinese restaurant. Figure that one out. And she lives above the restaurant. So she sees her, her father all the time. She, is in contact and contact with her mother all the time, family dinners. There's all this family dynamic going on. I love in, the family. In the middle of an action I, thriller I, mystery, yeah. you know? I love family dinners with extra guests. Setup. Yeah, like, like <laughs> oh, in the middle of this, like, terrible, you know, oh, she's, like, high stress, covered in bruises, and it's like, oh, by the way, we, we invited a boy over for you. I know, right? She's <laughs> like, Mom. Oh, worst timing ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I love the evolution of Lily and her mother. Um, There's a lot, you know, in in the first book, you really get a sense of Lily and her father. Oh God, the most endearing man ever. And then in in the second book, you get, uh, you get more in her mother. And the third book, her mother and Lily, they go to Hong Kong and they stay with the grandparents so, I mean, there's like, you know, it just gets, you learn more and more and more and more about this really, you know, unusual family. Well, and one of the things I thought was so fun and a twist on it is that it's the Norwegian father who was running the Chinese restaurant. Yeah. And, you're right. and, and I, I love that. So, so my sister's husband is Korean and she learned how to cook all the Korean food. So when my sister moved to Texas, she took all my Korean food with her that I got like home cooked food from both her and her extended family. But I love the idea that yes, the, the really good cook is the, the white guy who's learned this and embraced it rather than like, well, yes, it's been passed down generations. And if you don't have it in your blood, you cannot possibly understand and comprehend this food because the love of the food and the love of the culture is open and it's embracing and it includes Baba and it includes Lily. And I just, I love how you did that. But honestly, any main character whose nickname is for food, you, you have me sold right there. I'm like, I'm a dumpling. That was the thing that I knew about her before I knew anything was that this badass modern day ninja's nickname was dumpling. <laughs> so you Not started there and moved away. <laughs> and moved forward. <laughs> started with exactly. dumpling. Strikes fear in the heart of evildoers. <laughs> um, I know I did laugh when I, I was like, dumpling. It just... <laughs> 
it, it, it was just, it's so perfect. And I loved her relationship with her father. Cause mm-hmm. I, you know, my father's not with us anymore, but I'm a, was a total daddy's girl. So I just like felt so much of myself in her relationship with him. Like my dad knew like judo and stuff like that. So he would always like, like kind of try to spar with me when I was like a Aww. little, a little dancer girl, when I was like, ah, no, don't. Ah. And he's like, come on, come on, learn. <laughs> You have to learn. And I just, I did not want to learn. Oh my gosh. That is so cute. I used to, I used to uh, fight with my kids, my sons. I have two sons and they started um, in uh, karate. Actually, my eldest started in karate before I did. That's what got me into it. And then of course I went crazy. You know, I mean, I took to it like, you know, as they say, a duck to water and it was like, um, but uh, I remember even after they quit, we used to, we used to bar like on the bed you know we we'd roll around and it would be I'd like flip them over and I'd put a finger on them I go you're pinned and they go ah you know because you have to be careful you know with sons I wanted to make sure that we could we could spar but there was never a a sense of you know emasculation or anything it was always I, I always wanted it to be uh empowering but real and then as they got a little older uh, and they started knowing a little bit, you know. <laughs> then it was like, "Hey, uh, I have to work on this demo. Uh, you wanna, you wanna help me out here, or I need to shoot this little, this little thing. You wanna help me out here?" And I remember my oldest son at one point going, "You don't have to stand on my face, mom." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, sorry, <laughs> just you know, pinning, pinning you." <laughs> <laughs> How quickly things change from you're pinned to stand on your face. Stand on the face. (laughs) I mean, I did that with my training partners. We thought nothing of that kind of thing, you know? I mean, it's like, yeah. Note to self, do not stand on child's face. They don't like Also, note to self, don't spar with Tori. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, it's really funny. It's like when I'm writing an action scene, um, I I tend to do things, you know, so I'm acting it out and it, and depending on where I'm walking in the house, that's where I just like, you know, drop and start contorting. So I might be like jumping off couches or, you know, upside down on a chair or on the floor or whatever. Every now and again, I go into my, my husband's office um, and I'm like, yeah, can I, can I borrow your neck? And he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, and I'm like, can I borrow your hand? Just work, And when I used to teach and train, uh, I would ask that and he'd be like, because it usually involved pain. But now that I'm just writing about now it. Now that it's art. I don't <laughs> inflict the pain. I'm just trying to see exactly, you know, how to, how to describe it. Right, Allison? I'm like, oh, yeah, it looks like this. Okay, thanks. And I go back yeah. and I. This is when your husband wishes you wrote romance instead. (laughs) (laughs) He likes those scenes. (laughs) He's like, let's let's see how this part looks. The the heaving bosoms part. (laughs) I've heard some steamy stuff, and he's always very fond of that. Yes, I do get I do get requests for. What, what can we can we do the other one? (laughs) (laughs) I I write horror primarily and my poor husband there have been times where I'm like I just same thing I'm like I just need to know like what it would look like is it possible for somebody to do this to somebody and like if I'm like and he's just like 
gross. Like what you're writing is gross. <laughs> really? I stick my life. I can't. No. <laughs> I know. I know. There are things where I'm like, hold on. Like if this part of your cheek was gone, what did I see? And he's like, I love how much we're laughing because I will say yours was the first book I remember laughing out loud at like unexpectedly because so I listened on audible I don't I have little people I don't have time to sit with the book in front of me I would never get through anything that way and I, I don't want to I don't want to spoiler you will know what I'm talking about when someone asks her what her name is and her reaction is to basically parrot what they do, oh, I yeah. just I just burst out laughing. I was like, that is that is such the non-ninja response, and I loved it so much. So <laughs> for all the fans of Ninja Daughter, that part just had me laughing so hard when he said, and she goes, <laughs> because it was just it was just ridiculous. It's like really cool there, dumpling, really cool. Yeah. She made her real name, and that's really all that matters. She didn't she didn't use her real name. Nice. And, and I'm excited yeah. to read the next one because there's, I, I'm wondering some of the things, whether you're dropping hints for later, um, because I, there was, there was a character who was introduced that I'm like, I want to mm. see if this person is secretly evil. And I don't know if they are yet or not. So I have to just keep reading. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, there. <laughs> now, I like to, um, with each book, you learn a little more about somebody else in this world, you know, and, um, you know, because I had kind of planned that this could go on and on a bit, um, there there are even, you know, uh, a char- characters that might come back in the third or might play a huge role in the fourth that I'm already starting to, you know. That was going to be my question. On. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there are things like that. But I want to say I love that you enjoyed the audiobook. Natalie Naldis is such a talented narrator she used to be an opera singer which i love because i was trained for opera but ended up going into musical theater so we have that connection and and she's you know also um uh i think she's half chinese and so she does wonders with dialects and i certainly put her through a lot of work and in the second book oh she knocks it out of the park I got to say, I was so happy with that. So. Well, and it must have been hard trying to find a narrator who would be able to do all these dialects because setting in Los Angeles, you've got to be able to have, you know, this main character who has her own way of speaking, but then not make anybody else sound like a caricature. And nobody did. They all sounded very realistic. So my hat's off to her. And you, you did put her through a lot with some of that, including just some of the food. I'm going, hey, she nailed that. I'm ordering whatever that was. Oh my God. But she nailed she it. Hungry through the whole thing. I was so hungry when I was writing. Yeah. Everybody always tells me. <laughs> you named your character Dumpling. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Food is such a big deal. But when I was <laughs> through all the choices, I had three choices for narrators that were given to me. And, and the thing that really warmed my heart about Natalie was that she got my humor. Yeah. You, know, you need I, that delivery because if they're botching the line, then it won't sound right. You can trust that a reader might go, oh, that was funny. But if it if it's delivered flat, they're just going to go. Now I'm going to the audio book because I'm yeah. reading yeah, right? the book. <laughs> yeah. I'm reading with my eyeballs. Um, no, I know. I'm, I'm always just, asking, Jen, are you reading with your eyeballs or are you listening? It's right. I, I'm just saying with, my, with your eyeballs. How else are you going to read? Yeah, <laughs> if, you, if you read the, the yellow one, read. Listen to the red. I will. I will tell you. I really think she should be nominated for something. I mean, she just. Are there awards for those? 
there. Is. They what? have audiobook awards? Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. What are they called? Does anybody know? I can't remember. Yeah. We had somebody on our show that won. Chris Stevenson won the... Oh, see, the Audible. So the Audible. Chris Sorensen did? Chris Sorensen, yes. That's what I meant. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, so I... Well, I ask Chris. Yeah, I really... I do want to listen to it because the person who's narrating my second book is an opera singer, too. And um, when I heard her audition, I was just like... It was just like... I had so many good ones, but hers was... There was like a resonance in her voice that mm-hmm. when she talked... Uh, with the other characters, not necessarily my main one. I just felt it at the bottoms of my feet. Ah. And uh, then I looked at her resume and I'm like, she's an opera singer. And I, of course, of course. There must just be something about the the trained singer being able to project, even though they're just right here on a little microphone. And such emotion in in the voice. It's, it's, real, it's really true, you know, because we, we, you know, we have, I mean, I did a lot of voiceovers too, um, you know, on camera and voiceovers and things. And I really think the singing training was, was very helpful. And I, I think it, it shows up in my writing as well, because what I love about writing is the language. And when I write, I, I read everything out loud as I'm, as I'm writing it. I'm quite the narrator. Yeah. 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 I I love all my accents. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. I'm so good at this Northern Irish accent. And then I'm like, then I hear, are you though? And I'm like, are you though? (laughs) No, are you really? I'm definitely not. You really? (laughs) Well, that, that would be a hard one for me. Northern Ireland. I'd have to really work on that. But not well, that I would be cast in Northern <laughs> Ireland. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's not your type. I've had to audition for a Northern Ireland. There you go. Because, because. White girl with red hair. <laughs> White girl with red hair. There you go. Yeah. shirt. It's- well, Tori, did but- you ever consider reading them yourself? Because if you've got this narration background, did you ever go, I should just do this. This is, this is my work. Why not, why not put it in my own voice? You know, it's it's interesting that you mention that, and I do um, I do a lot of readings. Um, you know, I'll, I'll put them out there. Uh, it's a strength of mine. Um, I, I love to perform readings. I you know I I really enjoy it. People seem to enjoy it. However, I really wanted to make sure, especially as a debut author, that that when people saw Blackstone audio. And a narrator who had narrated a hundred books that they went, oh, serious. This, this, this is the real deal. And I yeah. was afraid that if they saw narrated by author, that um, somebody browsing around would think, hmm, it looks kind of indie or something. You know what I mean? You know, um, yeah, no, I, I, I hear it. Want, you know, no, plus. it's that, that stamp of approval and showing like, yes, this was done professionally. She's not in her in her closet, although we've heard that the best home studio actually is somebody's closet. But th- besides the point that I, I understand why you did that. And it, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, Stephen King can do it. And we go, oh, it's Stephen King. And everybody yeah. knows it. But when you're starting out. You know, I, I love to listen to Neil Gaiman read his work, and maybe one day I will. But here was the other thing: um, you know, I was a podcaster. I hosted a podcast for like fifty-seven episodes, and and, and I got a fancy mic and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing: if I was going to actually narrate a book, it would probably take me at least five times as long as it would take a professional narrator because I would be learning everything from scratch, mm-hmm. and and it wouldn't end up being my best work, would it? Because it would be 
first thing I would be learning. I would probably be too theatrical because that's my background. And, you know, uh, and I I wouldn't know all these little nuances and I'd, I'd probably, you know, do some, you know, faux pas that all those professional narrators already know not to do. And I thought, you know, I need to write the second book. It's it's stuff to do. I can't I can't do it. You can't spend the next year learning how to be an audiobook narrator and then building a studio in your house, nailing egg crates to the walls, <laughs> getting an even fancier mic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a it's a skill and a craft. And you know, hats off to, you know, those who really know how to do it well and apply their their time to it. So nothing but respect. Yeah. Well, and now a word to everybody. Yeah. I was just say a word to everybody who still hasn't cast their audiobooks. They should be looking for opera singers because they're going to do top-notch job. Um, If you like horror, which I think you do because you're in the HWA and you're a horror writer on the side and maybe not less on the side, maybe, maybe. I ain't saying. I, I like say, dark stories dark. and dark fiction. I, I like looking at things from all directions. Read or listen to uh, The Nightmare Room by Christopher Sorensen. We had him on our show. He's a horror author. He's also an audiobook narrator. And his main character in his trilogy is an audiobook narrator. So everything I know about audiobook narration, I learned from a horror novel. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Yeah. This That's is how hilarious. I knew how to audition people because <laughs> I read a horror novel. I'm like, now I know everything. It was also a tutorial. You just didn't realize it at the yeah. time. There you go. And now you know how to be a ninja. So <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you can't I will leave the ninja to you. Yeah. Uh, I'm a dancer and I'm only, I tell everybody I'm only coordinated on the dance floor. Like yeah. any other place I'm accidentally punching myself in the face, walking into walls. I'm always covered in bruises. Uh, so is I, Lily. I, I, I can't, so is Lily, but she's like saving people's lives and I'm just trying to dodge <laughs> a cat that's like walking in front of me. Um, yeah, da- dancers do have that rep. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Sure. People have been like, did you just fall down like on the street walking? Did you trip over your own foot? And I'm like, I and that- did. did. This is why I had to have knee surgery. Mm. Just fell down, literally just crossing the street. Ouch. Ouch. And then Ouch. everyone's like, you're a dancer. And I'm like, I fell in a pothole in, uh, oh, no. in, in New York City, you know, during cats rehearsals. Oops. <gasps> yeah. Uh, yeah. I almost missed the opening. of of the show yeah I was out for a couple of weeks and came back just in time to open the dang show I was like can you believe that and then you know once you do it it twists so easy it does you know so after that it was like I could look at you know you look at a pothole and then you're like oh my knee yeah yeah I I when I blew out my knee I was in I was in a Christmas carol which is you know ridiculous but um it was like a a two-month run and I'm like, I can't, I can't leave the show. So I just like taped the crap out of it. And then right mm-hmm. after that, I got cast in something else. And I'm like, I'll just keep going. Oh, that's fine. And then by the time I finally went to my surgeon, he was like, had you just taken like two weeks off? You wouldn't need surgery. I'm like, ah. Note so, to self. Note to self. <laughs> I probably still do the same thing again. But this is why I'm not a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, hip surgery here. Total hip replacement. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm not the only ninja I know with a total hip replacement. So, mm. so what you're saying is ninja ninjaing, if you can uh, use that as a verb. I don't know, but we we are a lot of us are kind of bionic, you know, uh, new shoulders, new knees, new hips. <laughs> Yeah, when your next character is a cyborg, we know why. <laughs> <laughs> Lily Wolves, oh, this time she's made it. of metal. <laughs> you can do like it. a sci-fi flash-forward story where Lily is like 90% bionic and she's being hired by, you know, some futuristic space people i know allison you're like no i'm just i'm just laughing because i'm going she's 90 percent bionic but the 10 percent of her is still eating so she's just like hold on so why is my stomach still here that's do i have a digestive tract no 90 percent bionic 10 percent still dumpling there's your tagline Mm-hmm. I think it was a short story. But he said, She's always eating. And I'm like, Have you ever noticed she almost never gets to finish? <laughs> no, she doesn't. It's kind of mean. Like, hold on, I've got to thwart this. And she's so. At least she gets active. to go. She, she gets needs, to go back. She needs to eat. She's very mm-hmm. active. Yes. 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 This well, is what I, I said like when you, I danced a lot. <laughs> you, well, you talk about body image. And I love that you took that on as far as someone addressing her as, Oh, you have just this perfect physique and she's like looking around going wait are you talking about me and not this this person over here who maybe everyone else has said this is the perfect physique and I love that the perfect physique for for her is she's strong she is capable maybe she doesn't have the thinnest legs but guess what those legs are helping her jump onto places that you know little skinny chicken legs couldn't have gotten her very far right the chicken foot is something else that's when you eat so Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was that was kind of a thing with me. You know, that was important to me. I got to say, uh, as a as a dancer, oh my gosh! You know, you, you go to New York, right? And and they're you're 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 taking these classes with the you know other Broadway dancers, and and they're looking, you know, and and ballet. Oh my god, that's the worst because oh, everybody is so thin, mm-hmm. and their legs go on forever, and they're literally just legs and then a head. They're lollipop people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm like looking at myself going, oh, okay, you know, I'm doing what I can. So that, that moment in, in the beginning where, where she, uh, she talks about a crayon, a crayon body, Yeah, you know, not turned sideways like a zipper body, you turn sideways <laughs> and they disappear. She's more like a crayon turned sideways. And it's like, mm-hmm. That yeah. was honestly my favorite line <laughs> as a dancer. I just, I read it so many times going, I feel this in my freaking soul. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I have, and this is a quote from my now husband, the ass and thighs of a horse, meaty and strong. He's Russian, so that was a compliment. <laughs> Do I have to have also, words with Roman now? <laughs> no, I mean, he did mean it as a compliment because when he said it, uh, we were dancing and like I, my leg and my butt did look good at this point. <laughs> they looked very muscular, but um, I didn't want to be called a horse. But Nobody I wants to be called a horse or have a horse face or maybe maybe hair like <laughs> hair like a horse like a, a ponytail. That's the only good one. <laughs> I know he's probably he's listening to this right now, going, "I wish you would stop telling this story." <laughs> my, my husband also said something a little similar to a friend about how strong and healthy I was. 
Me oh, too. as a horse? Like you could drag a cart. He did not treat a horse, but he did, you know, instead of, oh yeah, she, you know, she's hot or she, this one is so strong and healthy. Sturdy. Sturdy. Glad to know. It's like that question, is is childbearing hips a compliment or not? And I guess it's like, if it's your gynecologist, yes, because that's a good thing. Otherwise, no. If it's a random person in the grocery store, no. no. <laughs> I mean, I, I like my hips because they have a place for kids when you're doing like the kid on a side and a kid yes. on a side, they have a place to sit. But it, it's not sexy. It's just utilitarian. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, I hate to say it on that note, <laughs> we're going to end it with utilitarian hips Bye. and horse bus. Um, this was too much fun. Um, I'm just going to drink. Tori, you're going to have to come back uh, when your next book comes out, whatever your secret project might come out. Uh, please come back. You were hilarious and awesome. We didn't even get to talk about the fact that you went to college with Barack Obama. High school. High school. I'm sorry, you went to high school with Barack Obama. Wow. Oh, God. But you weren't like his high school sweetheart, were you? Oh, were you? Oh, okay. No. I was going to say, oh, if you were, then we're <laughs> staying on this podcast. Um, we're going two hours, like Oprah Winfrey style. Uh, but I. <laughs> but we will have you back. Please come back. Uh, we adored you. Everyone who's watching now or on the replay, stay tuned next week. We have JT Ellison on the show. <laughs> I know, look, Tori's watching. Tori has a book. Um, if you are not sick of me, please tune in tomorrow night at 6 p.m. on Writer Showcase. I am interviewing Sean Cosby and Eric Pruitt, and we are doing a, a crime noir in the bar where we're going to have cocktails. Nice. They're going to read me crime stories, and then we are all going to fight wow. to the death. Oh, you're in for a treat because Sean is a great reader. We've had Sean on the show. And, and he has he, better internet? He has, I think he has better internet now. I might just be making that up. But. I hope so. <laughs> so thank you, everybody. Thank you to Roman Sirotin, our producer. Thank you to Pam Stack, our executive producer. This has been a copywritten podcast by the Global Authors on the Air Network, and we will see you all next week. Thank you, Tori. Thank you, Vixens. Good night.